This is Higher Ground from WSHU Public Radio. I'm J.D. Allen. And I'm Sabrina Garone. Our student scientists have been thinking about what environmental issues are most important to them. Last episode, Abril, Taylor, and Corinne told us they're interested in where Bridgeport's water comes from and whether it's safe to drink. Water is full of lots of chemicals and probably stuff that we wouldn't want to ingest. And the girls wondered if there was something that residents could do at home to make sure their water is clean while also cutting back on using the tap. We're looking for a different source of water. Yes. And we think that the, the rainwater um, is something that we can make potable, something that we can drink. Right. Um, is, is there enough water? Enough water. Do we think there's enough rainwater? Um, depending on where you live. What about here? I uh, yeah, I definitely believe in the spring seasons or the fall seasons. It rains a lot, so that would benefit us all. They like the idea of a rainwater filtration system, basically a large bucket that would collect rain. A motor would keep the water moving to prevent bugs from laying eggs and spreading other diseases, maybe even some kind of process to bring it to a boil. The goal is to have a safe alternative water source to drink, shower, and take care of your garden. I wouldn't completely turn off your water system, but I feel like it's a great backup or at least your first source before you go to city water. At the moment, rainwater is a challenge for Bridgeport. Our students want to put rainwater to work for them, giving them a fresh source of water to enjoy rather than flood the streets and ruin infrastructure. These solutions might give their home the best chance at survival and help save coastal places beyond their city. Where millions of people call home. WSHU, the station you know, trust, and count on, is more relevant than ever. I'm WSHU and American Homefront Project reporter Desiree DiOrio. Your support has enabled us to deliver what you need at a moment's notice, wherever you happen to be. We can tell stories that really matter, connecting facts and revealing the truths you need. Thank you for listening and supporting WSHU Public Radio. We're stronger together. Climate change will affect the coastal Northeast faster than any other region in the U.S., according to the academic journal Nature Climate Change. That's because of increasing temperatures, sea level rise, and extreme weather becoming more intense every year. Bridgeport is a city that is stressed by storm surge. The south end of Bridgeport was hit the hardest during Superstorm Sandy in 2012 and Tropical Storm Irene the year before, and basically every heavy rainfall since. Especially low-income and public housing neighborhoods. This discoloration is from the uh, sewage overflows. Bill Lucy monitors Connecticut's coastline with Long Island Sound. So what's going on? is when it rains a lot of Bridgeport has pavement and so that runs down the drains and it combines into the sewage collection system. It's a very old style. But I think overall Bridgeport is at a point now where they're um, 
paying more attention to their community. During our tour of Black Rock Harbor, Bill said Bridgeport is a coastal community that is beginning to have a better relationship with managing water. It's a change of pace. For a long time, the environment came second to the city's booming industry. Connecticut has one of the most progressive sewage infrastructure, clean water funds in the country. If you're a combined sewer overflow community, which are typically more working class communities, they get served last, um, they get, can get up to a 50% grant. To pay for a several hundred million dollar investment to upgrade sewers and water treatment plants. So uh, it makes it affordable for communities such as Bridgeport that may not have a huge tax base because there's a lot of working class people here. Um, and they can't, they can't afford to pay big bucks for um, their taxes. The student scientists recognize it would be expensive to fix Bridgeport's aging infrastructure. They're curious about affordable ways. Maybe with their prototype, for instance. For residents to help clean up contaminated water before it enters nearby rivers and ultimately Long Island Sound. Taylor brainstorms with Wayne ways to better filter the water through their prototype. Just cheesecloth in general, because you know like for coffee, when you're making coffee, you could use that as like a coffee filter and everything. You can possibly use cheesecloth for making water and then boil that water to sterilize it and everything. You can use charcoal and you can use that to filter water as well. You can, first you put the water in the charcoal, then you can take the charcoal out of the water and then cleaner than it came out. What kind of charcoal? Like charcoal you would use for a cookout? Not the giant chunks of it, but like the powder version. They also found that there are natural ways that water gets filtered. So here on the shore of Bridgeport, while the city looks like it abuts the ocean, technically Long Island Sound is an estuary where saltwater from the ocean meets up with freshwater from rivers. Like the Housatonic River, stretching about 150 miles from western Massachusetts through Connecticut, the river spills into Long Island Sound in Milford, a suburb just east of Bridgeport. The Housatonic watershed, which includes the river itself and surrounding smaller bodies of water, spans close to 2,000 square miles. That's actually a a larger area than the sound itself. The most important thing to remember about water systems is they're all connected. That's John Vanderwerf, a fisheries biologist with Save the Sound, the same group the Long Island Soundkeeper works for. Water flows downstream, so sooner or later, the water is going to get to the lowest, it's going to get to the ocean from the mountaintops. So Remembering that they're all connected and that your, it, your impact is impacting people upstream and downstream is important to remember as well. We're up the river in Prospect, Connecticut today, about a 45-minute drive north of Bridgeport, to talk about how water flows down the river into the city and Long Island Sound. I always end up wearing the waders in this time of year. It, it's such low water, especially this year being in drought conditions, that it's, I haven't really needed them. This summer has been super dry, and at the time of recording this podcast, Connecticut is in a drought that began in mid-May. By late August, about 90% of the state earned severe drought status. Connecticut's rivers and streams had reached record lows as dry conditions persisted through the summer. These dry, hot temperatures are dangerous for rivers. And for cities. We'll talk more about that next episode. Just because it's a rain event doesn't mean it's a bad thing. The water cycle is in a critical part of your environment around you. So the rain coming down on the landscape is not 
always detrimental. It is important for the entire system to function properly. John is taking us through the brush on the side of a hill down into a small culvert. A culvert is kind of like a passageway. You can usually spot them under roads, walking trails, or railways. They allow for water to flow freely, in this case from the river valley down eventually to the sound. The team's goal for today is to make sure things are running smoothly. These culverts and these road stream crossings are everywhere. So it opens up people's eyes to seeing that there is environment all over the place. There is free flowing water all over the place and it's in your backyard. They're also important for the movement of wildlife. Even though you're still in the city, there is wildlife there. There are birds that are migrating through and using that habitat. There are fish that are migrating through and using that habitat, amphibians, and there are wild spaces and these green spaces present. Just have to look for them with the right eye. Standing by the riverside is Matt Conrad, a conservation projects manager with the Housatonic River Valley Association, which monitors water quality within this watershed. Today we're, we're testing uh, things along the line about kind of flow constriction. How much does do these stream crossings and culverts constrict um, the stream itself and thus create potential flooding risks and also barriers to fish and other aquatic life kind of connectivity. They have a tool that kind of looks like a fishing rod. So what is that? So this is a laser level. It'll shoot basically a beam. Yeah, it'll, this is in an auto levels, but this will shoot a beam around and then we put the little receptor on a rod and we can measure kind of the distance, or at least the slope and the height. And then we measure the length along um, the stream crossing, and then, yeah, measure the length across the stream crossing, and you get the slope, and then everything is good to go. And it's interesting because, you know, steeper the slope, the harder it is for, for fish and other kind of aquatic organisms to move upstream. Whoa. It's harder for me too. <laughs> the river is bone dry. Only puddles of groundwater pool into slopes away from the culvert. Tiny fish are in larger pools that are still able to make their way down the river. What types of things constrict flow of water? Well, having a, a small culvert that is you know, significantly narrower than the stream itself. If you look up, up a stream, you'll see you know, it might be 10 feet wide, and then you go to a culvert and it's only two feet across. That is a serious constriction of, of water flow, but also debris, you know, big storm knocks down a lot of trees or other debris and stuff that can constrict flow or reduce flow and create uh, flooding risks as well. Yeah, another natural one could be like a beaver dam. Beavers are very prevalent in this area and they can make natural constrictions. It's actually kind of funny. We do a lot of dam removal projects and all of a sudden beavers will move in into the stream channel that has just been engineered and then we have another dam being built in the same site. John climbs over a downed tree blocking the culvert. He stands underneath the road. The sounds of cars speed over his head. He sticks out a very large ruler. This one is more of measuring the measuring the culvert in relation to the road and showing when the road would overtop during a flood. And then uh, scientists and modelers at UConn were putting together this model to show how these culverts would react in a flood of different magnitude. The goal is for these measurements to be used for any future project that might reshape the wilderness here and build smart. And we're trying to identify every single potential 
barrier for fish migration, but then also flood points to then make an inventory and eventually create a database so anyone in the public, any manager, any transportation, any town, municipality can go back and use this as a uh, priority of the general trend is it's more environmentally friendly for flooding and erosion and sediment transport as well through a properly functioning culvert. But the more that we work to restore and mitigate a lot of these pollution sources, um, more and more fish will come back and create more recreational opportunities, whether that's just fishing or you're floating down the river in a kayak or you're going down and actually eating a lot of a lot of the fish, which right now I don't think in certain parts I don't think is, is a great idea. Um, but as it can, continues to clean up, those those become more available. Now that's something our student scientists can get behind. Those sources of pollution and fish eventually flow downstream and end up in their neighborhoods in Bridgeport. It's definitely not a, uh, a career path that when you ask an elementary or middle school student like, hey, what do you want to do? They're like, oh yeah, I want to go jump into uh, culverts and go test water quality. Yeah. That's not usually the first thing that comes out. I feel like no. the gateway is always, I want to be a marine biologist. Yep, I was just going to say that. That's, That's always usually the one. Yep. Tie it in with that and the kids are like, oh, never thought about it that way. You're like, yeah, you can't always look at the fish. You have to look at the habitat too. <laughs> and then it like starts to click with them. And they're like, interesting. I get it now. I get it now. So. I mentioned to John that our student scientists believe rainwater basins could be an alternative for Bridgeport residents. Turns out environmentalists have already put this to the test in nearby cities like Bridgeport. I've done a couple projects on small and large scale of what you're describing. Um, so all of the blacktop, all of the roofs, all of the things that are going to let the water run off of it. And instead of letting it run off into the rivers, we're putting in these catch basins that are permeable so the water can actually get into the catch basin. It's allowed to sit there and flood. It's designed for that for, I'll say, the smaller scales where it can be done coming off of your roof from your downspout. You can disconnect your gutters from the stormwater drains and you can put it into your garden and make a rain garden. A rain garden. Now, that's the direction some of our student scientists see this prototype for rainwater collection heading. Like, you can get a specially designed barrel for collecting rainwater and whenever it rains, the water will just, you can just funnel the your gutters into the barrel. But you should clean the water if you're going to, like, drink it like literally. So it's better off like uh, gardening gardening, and uh, maybe washing your car or something. I love that. And, and, and rain barrels are an important tool in, um, you know, in, in reusing rainwater and preventing it again from getting down into the stormwater system. Drew Goldsman of the Nature Conservancy thinks the students are onto something special. It's like a rain garden, but it's one that you just store on site and then you can water your plants. So rainwater is a good and useful tool, according to the scientists, when it comes to sustainability and community resilience against climate change. The drinking water in Bridgeport is safe to drink for sure, and I would be uh, reluctant to encourage anyone to drink direct rainwater. Um, the rainwater itself is generally quite clean. We've addressed a lot of the acid rain issues of decades past. So unless you have some good filtration system, it's not recommended to drink it, but it's great 
for watering your plants or your garden or your yard or whatever it might be. Next episode, we start to explore how these kids would reimagine how green spaces in their city are planned. Join us for a walk around the city. With Drew, his peers in urban planning, and a few new friends we meet along the way. Who are all interested in the city maintaining its green spaces. So we're going to talk about how hot it is, all right? Yeah, we're all going to talk about so how hot it is. So it's too hot outside because... It's like 91 degrees right now because it's supposed to be 90 degrees uh, the whole, the whole, um, the whole week, yeah. So how do you stay cool in a place like this? Well, I come to the hill, I come to the tree, and I get my ears. But when I really, when I really want to play basketball, then I just go to the sun. But when I'm really hot, I just take a break and sit down right by the trees. It's good that they added a water park because, like, if we're playing basketball, we could just go to the water park if we get hot. So, I mean, that's very good. I mean, I'm jealous. I want to jump in. I got a little bit too much equipment on me. Ground is reported and produced by J.D. Allen and me, Sabrina Garone, with editing from Harriet Jones. Molly Ingram helped with the mixing. Samantha Simon, Melanie Formosa, and Megan Briggs did fact-checking and research. Music is composed by Samuel Davies and Aria Elon. Graphic art by Joshua Joseph. This podcast was made possible by Joan Gans Cooney Center and the Sesame Workshop. Higher Ground is a production of WSHU Public Radio. The next episode is available wherever you get your podcasts. You